a hero would risk you for the world. A villain would risk the world for you. Think about it. I've thought about it. And that just makes me think of that one Tumblr post I saw where you've got the hero and the villain who have one mutual friend. Oh. And they just try to keep things held together for that one friend. It's like, I've come over to take over the world, but can you wait like five minutes? Beth's birthday is in five minutes, and we're going to like celebrate together, and we promised we wouldn't do this. I would write it. I would watch it. I'd watch it. I'd hope you'd watch what you wrote. I try not to watch what I write. I'm the exact opposite. When I'm writing music and then any editing software for anything, I admire my own work and I will not stop editing it. And I will constantly, for music, I'll just constantly replay it over and over and over again until I'm satisfied with what I'm listening to. And Go off, I'll, King. I'll just keep listening to it over and over again. As you should. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of The Car's on Fire. I'm Nicole. I'm Luke. <laughs> Luke, what car are we driving today? So close your eyes. Imagine this. Okay. We're in a mall parking lot. How specific? You're walking out of the very expensive side of the mall with all the luxury clothes and the luxury jewelry. Nordstrom and Macy's. And you see the luxury car, matte black finish. So perfect. And we're driving the crappy smart car sitting next to it. What a tease. How dare you do that to me? <laughs> I was just, ugh, damn it. <laughs> okay. You're welcome. Okay. Well, we're driving that one. Hope you have insurance for it. Uh, we don't need insurance because... We don't know we need insurance where we're going. Yeah, we're just going to McDonald's and back and taking the scenic route. All right. All right. So, since you're the guest, what are we talking about today? We're talking about people. People? How specific? Yeah. We're, we're talking about people and how to talk to people and how people talk to us and why it's so fascinating to be a person sometimes. So basically, we're just speaking about sociology. Sort of. We're like gossiping about people, but in a very philosophical manner. Not Victoria's Secret, Victoria's Gossip. <coughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. What is your favorite thing about people? Or the thing that interests you most about people? I think one of my favorite things about other people whenever you do something that puts someone else in a good mood. You know what I'm saying? Like, knowing that you have an effect on other people, that's bewildering. Because you can be told things like, nothing in life matters, or everything's a sham, or your anxiety can tell you things like, people hate you. And those thoughts can be in your head. But one small act of kindness that puts a smile on someone else's face, that can really make or break your attitude for the next five years sometimes. It's kind of like how teachers, when, when you ask like a teacher why they wanted to become one, their answer is having an effect on children. Exactly. Yeah. And like that's part of why I want to teach children too. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's just that overarching idea of influence and helping, I guess. Yeah. Little things can help people. Big things can help people. You can pour your heart and soul into something and you can change the world or you can pick up a piece of trash that would have been someone else's scar on this planet. You know, you don't even know. They don't even know that you helped them, but you helped them. The butterfly effect. Yeah. But instead of going to the past, you're actively changing the future. Yeah. Do you ever think about that? If you didn't do that one thing three years ago, how different your life would be right now? Oh, yeah. I think about it all the time. Often I question if there is free will or the reverse is like a predetermined path that we were programmed to take and i i would like to believe that there's multiple paths that have been laid out for us and it's really up to us which one we decide to choose opening up to the multiverse alternate dimensions and stuff every choice we don't make there's an alternate reality where you did make that choice so it's just infinite branches of choices you could have made you know what i like to think sometimes what i like to think that life is a continuous save file and maybe one day once we've hit game over we can pick any of those save files and go back oh there's some save files i'd like to delete honestly <laughs> definitely same <laughs> where would you go back actually i don't think i'd go back anywhere you think you you think this is it you found the path that's the best for you i think that the idea of options that many options where I could like choose something different the idea of that is just overwhelming to me and stresses me the fuck out that's reasonable 
Yeah. What if you get to the game over, you've lived your life, and that consciousness can go back with all the memories that you made? Then I would go back to the very beginning. The very beginning? Yeah. All right. Have you ever read Dune? Dune? I have not. Is that the new movie that's come out? Yes. Yeah, I've never. Okay, so Dune. I can't even explain Dune truly. That's the film major, isn't it? No, I'm talking about the book, not the film. No, I'm talking about the film major and you that's about to come out and, and talk about how much you like the story and stuff like that. Yes, but there's a certain part of the story where Paul's sister is considered an abomination because she, in the womb, she had consciousness. In the, in the womb, she had thousands of life experiences. So when she was born and then she was out in the world, she already had life lived in just this tiny body, and they called her an abomination. Sounds rad. Uh, it eventually destroyed her. Oh. Well, minus that part. <laughs> Spoilers, by the way. <laughs> Dune came out in 19-something, fuck, a long time ago. I'm so happy for it. Yeah, but uh, you know how J.K. Tolkien with Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit kind of shaped how fantasy is written? Yeah, that was a coming out of the closet joke, by the way. Anyway, go on. Oh, I missed that one. <laughs> I guess you just flew right out of there. I couldn't even see you. Anyway, so the way that J.R.R. Tolkien affected fantasy writing, Frank Herbert affected science, science fiction writing. Okay. So he kind of set precedent for science fiction. In a similar vein to Star Wars, would you say? Or e, well, is this like apples to oranges? I mean, Star Wars takes aspects of Dune as well. Uh. So Dune is kind of, I wouldn't say the blueprint, but I would definitely say it's an influence. C- kind of how Isaac Asimov's stuff is also influential in terms of science fiction. I hear you. I definitely have a lot of people on social media that are raving about Dune, and they're, they're, th- they're the same kinds of people who are... Uh, talking a lot about the new Star Wars movies and just talk about sci-fi and fantasy to begin with. Star Wars movies? Oh, okay. Hear me out, bestie. Star Wars fans love to gatekeep. Yeah, a little bit. They love gaslighting and they're not girl bossing. Tragic. Tragic. I'm gonna say it. The original movies were okay. They weren't fantastic. They were okay. They're good. We don't talk about the prequels, but and then the new ones, they're fine as well. I think I have not experienced the Star Wars movies in the same way that other people do because I can appreciate them, but I don't like them as much as a lot of other people do. My childhood bedroom is Star Wars themed. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. My childhood was Star Wars themed in that we played a lot of Lego Star Wars growing up and oh, my name yeah. was... Luke. Yeah. What do you think every single person said when they first met me oh my god luke skywalker no what what they would say oh luke i'm your father yeah that one. Oh. you know the famous quote that's hey. on every trivia thing ever do or do not there is no try yeah that one's uh actually i believe there is trying 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 you can do or you can not but you can also try all right i i think that trying is doing you can definitely i feel like Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I feel as though doing is the active activity of doing it and then successfully finishing it, and then trying is doing it without succeeding. I think the difference between doing and trying is confidence, but so long as you're putting yourself out there and understanding that what you do has consequences, maybe that in and of itself is what's worth reveling. Reveling? One of the two. Words are hard. Words, I like words, though. I enjoy words immensely. Yeah. Because it's just us flexing our vocal muscles, making vibrations into the air, and then other people have those wiggle lines go into their ber- into their ears, into their hearing nerve. Their which cranium. In, which turns into electrical impulses, which gives your brain information, and somehow we understand them. Now, say everything you just said, but you have to explain it to a caveman. Um, listen, unga boonga, hear me out. Throat, make noise. Noise go in ear. Ear, make brain wiggle. That's actually pretty good. Thank you. That's much better than anything I could have done. I'm fluent in, fluent in caveman. I didn't know he knew that. So you're trilingual then. I am trilingual. Ah. Yeah. Why don't you talk about why you started learning Japanese? Ooh, that's a good one. 
Okay. So for those of you who don't know, I'm adopted. I am adopted from China. Uh, and I am Vietnamese and Chinese, according to 23andMe. My parents always gave me access to culture, to my culture, but I didn't really resonate with it, I guess, because I didn't have a lot of it growing up, which is no fault to my parents at all. They did everything right. It's just I don't have a strong identity with the Asian community. I guess the reason I wanted to learn Japanese is I wanted to learn at least one Asian language. Even if it's not my own, it's something close to, I guess, a sense of self. Japanese is a cinified culture. Uh, cinified being any nation or cultural identity that has branched off from China. Um, which Japan and Korea are most notably cinified. Right. In fact, I'm taking a History of East Asia class right now, and those are the three nations we learn about. And you kind of come to understand that other than historical dates, leaders, things like that, a lot of the history is the same because a lot of the history is just China and China going to other places. So there are definitely Chinese roots in Japanese, I would say. Of course, this is what some would consider to be a very white take on it. I just feel as though in high school there would be cliques or I guess groups and there'd be an Asian group and they'd all have similar experiences growing up with Asian parents, whether that be like living with grandparents or whether it be like food traditions and stuff like that. But I didn't really have that and so I didn't really connect with them or I couldn't, I didn't feel as though I was Asian enough, or I wasn't really Asian at all other than how I looked. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was good enough to hang out with them, be with them, interact with them, and just have the same... I couldn't empathize with them, so sympathizing with them wasn't satisfying to me. I wanted more, but obviously I can't do that. We went to Montgomery County both of us for high school. I went to a high school that had a high presence in African-American and Hispanic students. So did I. Um, And a lot of the high schools in the area, especially Central and Southern Montgomery County, had a high presence of Asian students. But I guess I personally have never considered maybe not as many of them are on the same boat as you where they are Asian, but they are adopted. So they don't have direct ties to their own culture. We always celebrate Chinese New Year's in the best way that we can. We can't have like a full five-course giant Lazy Susan meal with a bunch of extended family. But I mean, you can celebrate exactly. I mean, you can't bring in like a giant 10-person dragon puppet into your room like every single year. You can't like bring an entire parade into your house. Gosh, I wish I could. That'd be so cool. Actually, I think they're lion costumes. Oh, are they lions? I think they're lions. I'll have to do some more research on that, I guess. I feel as though, yeah, they're lion dances. It is fun to watch, I will say, regardless of what animal it is. My parents took me to a few Chinese acrobat acrobat shows, and I loved them. I thought it was so absolutely cool seeing people who look like me do amazing feats. And that's why I teared up at Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, because it was him finding, like, where he came from, his, like, identity. And I think there... For those who haven't seen it, there's a scene between him and his aunt where they're sparring or fighting. And he has this closed fist because that's how his father taught him to fight. His aunt is from where his mother was from and they fight with open hands. And she came up to him and uncurled his fist. And I think at that point I was just, I was just crying because I couldn't, I can never have that moment. I can never have a moment where I am like connected with someone your blood related to someone your blood related to you would someone say? blood related to me showing me exactly where i came from who i come from yeah where you came from where you go yeah where you come from cotton eye joe something like that something like that i spent a lot of my childhood thinking that my family was italian and scottish my mother had a Italian last name and my father had a Scottish last name. I ended up finding out within the last few years that my dad's grandfather was adopted and he was adopted by a Scottish family and we have no idea where the Italian 
came from in my mom's side. I found out I'm actually Eastern Jewish, Native American, and Spanish. What a bag of marbles. Exactly. Now, do I look like white bread? Absolutely, positively. Wonder bread, because you're wonderful. Thank you. If you were bread, you would also be wonder bread. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I feel like I would be cinnamon toast. I love cinnamon toast. I My mother uh, makes this amazing French toast. It's incredibly annoying to make, but when she does make it, ooh, you know it's a good morning if she makes French toast. My mother and her friend had a breakfast casserole recipe, and every Christmas Eve she would make all the ingredients. She would put them all into a bowl and mix them together and then put them in a pan and then put that pan in the refrigerator. And then once we were old enough to learn how to use the oven, she would give up on baking it in the morning and she would just tell us the night before that whoever woke up first had to take the pan out of the fridge and put it in the oven so that everyone can have breakfast casserole by the time they woke up. It was a great trade-off for her because it was less work for her and, I don't know, more responsibility for us. It was the illusion of responsibility so that she could do less work and still eat breakfast casserole. She could sleep in. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever see that meme of your mother's face when you open that gift on Christmas, the gift that she told you there was absolutely no way she would get, and it's just baby Yoda? There's a mug. Oh, yes. I do yeah. know that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, that was definitely my parents. <laughs> I think the coolest gift I ever got growing up for Christmas was either an electric guitar or a DSi, which the DSi I sold for like a third of the price because I got bored of it. Oh. And the guitar I left at school telling myself I was going to take it home after school every day until the end of the school year, and then I just didn't. No. And then something happened to it, and I don't know what happened to it. I hope it's in someone's hands right now. I hope it's not, like, in the bottom of a trash heap. I hope someone's playing it if they still live. I hope it got adopted to a nice family. How do you feel about your belongings being stolen? Does it happen? Um, I keep most of my things very close to my person. I always have my phone log keys on me. Or, I don't know, I just have my backpack on me constantly. And I never leave any of my stuff anywhere because the... OCD re refuses to let me not know where everything is. I like to think of myself as a very non-materialistic person at times. There are some times where it's like I negotiate with myself for several weeks on the concept of going out and getting one or two things for myself. Buying groceries in and of itself, though, can be very difficult at times because I ask myself, am I really worthy of this? Of food, of basic necessity? Not food, but, like, specific food. So I know I have to eat, but, like, I usually get, like, the basic groceries I need, and I get, like, great value and, and store brand and things like that because they're the cheapest because I have a very guilty relationship with money. Mm. And I just generally think that I don't really buy a whole lot of things that I don't need. Um, and that can be really annoying when I have friends or whoever that want to go out and go shopping and i will gladly look at things window shopping yeah i like going thrift shopping especially because it's like you can not only look at things and find them interesting but you can also think about the fact that that already has a life one of my favorite things to do is go to thrift stores there's this really big thrift store that's like five minutes away by car from my house and there's clothes and there's pottery and there's paintings and all that stuff. And at the back, there's a bunch of miscellaneous stuff and there's like kids toys and electronics and stuff. I developed a habit over the coronavirus. Once everything opened back up with like capacity limits and masks and stuff. Oh I yes, the panorama. Yes, the panini. The piranha, the Panasonic, the, the Pandora, the other P words. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say it. I went to the thrift store once a week. And the thing that I would look for every week was Guitar Hero guitars. 
and I have a small collection of Guitar Hero guitars in my house right now. Do they work? Where are they just a bunch of ones that do work and ones that don't? It's hard to tell. I've not used some of them. I don't have the right parts to plug them into my computer because a lot of them were made for systems like the PlayStation Wii. or the Xbox. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of them were made for the Wii. Um, and I would need to either re-hardware them, which would be a lot of work and a lot of stuff I don't need, or I would need to get an adapter, which I feel like I would get to that point where if I got an adapter for one, I'd have to get an adapter for all of them because they would all become my children. And it's like, well, I'm not going to treat any one of them more special than I do any of the other ones. Yeah, you don't want to play favorites. No, not at all. But I love Guitar Hero so much. I never really had Guitar Hero growing up, so I usually only played it if I was at a friend's house or party or whatever. So we're talking about people, right? Yeah. Well, uh, while we're on the topic of video games, I like people. I like being around people. Some of the worst people I've ever experienced have been through video games. Oh, yeah. The gaming community is so toxic, especially towards women. Of course. Um, I have been called several homophobic slurs um, in my entire lifetime. Some really creative ones. But the vast majority of slurs I get called are while playing video games. Yeah. And there's just something about anonymity and not having to face consequences when talking to people that really just motivates people to be as awful as possible. Yeah. I mean, you have the screen protecting you, the distance of internet protecting you. Most, Some of the most racist and misogynistic things I've ever heard are from video games. And that's why um, I do not speak in voice chat a lot. As soon as they hear there's a, a girl in the lobby or game or whatever, yeah, just... It's just it's over bombarding of just the worst things you could ever hear. Yeah. And that's just disgusting as well. How people can associate voice with identity. Right. So they'll hear things like my word choice or like they'll hear a little bit of a lisp from me and they'll just immediately think gay, which is not I mean, it's half true, but just that idea is saddening and it really is conflicting at times as well because there are some really uplifting stories when it comes to video games like first of all being a gamer you know being a streamer like that's a career now people post content online they stream and they can make people's days and they can save people's lives and that's amazing you know and then you hear stories about like there was the one of the World of Warcraft team, I think, that played together for several years. And one of them got sick. And this was a team of people who had never seen each other in person. And they lived all across the country. And one of them got sick. And it was very prevalent he wasn't going to make it. And the entire team flew out to see him all in the hospital at once. And they got a picture together. And it was really emotional. And like, those kinds of things like really show the best that humanity has to offer. Yeah, because the connection through the internet, there is no distance limit. You can truly communicate with anyone around the world. There's no barriers for language. Nowadays, it's hard to reach those barriers for accessibility. Um, they just look differently uh, depending on how easy your access to technology is but realistically you can talk to i want to say at least 50 percent of all living humans right now if you wanted to yeah just with our little death squares that we hold in our hands 24 7 and we don't need them no but the fact that we have them is like mind-blowing i believe that we still have our little caveman brains. And it, if we did not have phones, we would just, I don't know. I feel as though society would be different Yeah. in ways that I could go into, but I'd be sitting here for four hours and then I'd have to edit it. And I don't want to do that. At least not this time. I think people were made to evolve. People were made to communicate. 
but to have every bad thing come across their newsfeed every morning. Like, there's this tweet that says, don't talk to me until I've had my morning doom scroll. That was me. <laughs> that was me guilty. Because truly, you look on your phone in the morning and you just see the absolute worst news you could ever hear. And then you just scroll by it. Like, it, it's not there. Especially with the coronavirus, we've become so accustomed to just seeing the worst stuff, which is sad a little bit. We've been desensitized to tragedy, which is tragic in itself. I obviously was don't remember 9-11, but that was something that they played over and over for weeks. Ev- it's one of those things where you always know where you were when you found out. Shoot, people talk about 9-11 so much, it makes me feel guilty about it sometimes, and I never had any part of <laughs> anything to do with it. I was one, not even, when it happened. It's the reason why my family doesn't watch the news, because my sister was very young. She was maybe three because they used to watch the news every morning, but since they were just playing over and over, watching those towers fall, they were like, we, c- we can't do it. So ever since then, we never really watched the news. There was one, not nearly on the scale of 9-11, but right. there, was, there was one thing that was happening in the D.C. area that... Uh, oh, was the D.C. sniper? The D.C. sniper, yeah. It was, it was in the news a lot. Um, and my mother actually has a story and I'm actually kind of involved in the story because I was there. Ooh. Um, there's an area in, like, Montgomery County, the Rockville, the Wheaton area. It's called Aspen Hill. And she was dropping off my two older brothers at daycare one time. And I was newly born uh, within a year, maybe a year and a half or two years tops. She mentioned how she was filling up gas when a shot went off. And how she got in her car frantically and drove away. She ended up driving to a grocery store uh, to try to get away from it. And because it was something she had to do that day anyway, which, you know, hearing a gunshot in public isn't traumatic enough. You know, you still have to do errands. She ended up going to a grocery store and heard another gunshot. Oh, my God. And she ended up going back into the car after that. And this is like why this is why she told me the story because a song came on the radio uh, when she was driving back when she switched the radio and it was the Foo Fighters all my life and it was the lyric dead dead on to the next one. Oh my gosh wait that's so scary. Yeah it was really scary and she told me that story when that song came on the radio one time it was a relatively normal car ride until she told me that story. I was just like, oh, okay. So your life really has just been always connected to music. I guess you could say that. In some weird way. I I like to think that, you know, since high school, I have developed a crippling addiction to music, people, and social media, which two of those are people. Yeah. And So what is it about music that you just truly cannot get enough of? I think it's that one quote where words fail, music speaks. Mm. Um, which, you know, one of the things I find so interesting about language is uh, one of the ways to learn it in that it's not the concept of finding translations for everything. So, you know, hello in Spanish is hola, um, but hello in Japanese can be konnichiwa, which doesn't mean hello at all because konnichiwa is a greeting. It actually means this day is right which is like that doesn't mean hello at all but that's because you're trying to translate it literally back to hello which you can't do that so what you're doing instead is you're finding the concept of greeting somebody you're finding the idea that is reaching out to somebody for the first time you've seen them in a while and having them understand that you are greeting them and hello does that in the same way that konnichiwa does. And I think that the same idea of distancing yourself from the literal 
and moving towards feeling and understanding and comprehension as a whole, that's one thing that music does really, really well. Literal, tr- literal translation versus connotation. Yes. And, you know, I think it was Herbie Hancock who said no one wants to hear the chords. That's just crap. They want to hear the music. You know, you can play any chord in any order you want. You can spend hours in a practice room practicing the same etude over and over again. You can rehearse with a marching band and go over the same three sets for half an hour. But no one's going to care as much about the drill formations or the scalar passages or the, you know, phrase modulations versus pivot modulations. They're going to care more about what you put into it. And I think that's one thing that means a lot to me is knowing that there are things that people care about so much like music. Now, there are other things in life you can devote yourself to, and I like seeing people talk about the things they're passionate about. It just so happens that by the time I sort of started to understand how much I liked people being passionate about things, that was when I started to realize one of my passions was music. And that was when I was taking four music classes a day in high school and when I started to consider making music my major. Wow. Don't give me that. <laughs> you said a lot of musical terms, and I they went into my brain. You they understood. swirled around, and then they exited. You understood maybe half of that. Maybe, yeah. I mean, but I understand the heart behind it, the, the, the reason behind it. I mean, you understand what a scale is in music, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And you understand what a passage is. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh huh. Yes, of course. Oh, yeah. I gotcha. Great. Yes. All right. Bad example I, for the point that I'm trying to make. In terms of like this connection with people that we have in music, I always ask when I meet a new person, send me a playlist of songs that you enjoy. Because I feel you can really, really get to know someone by the music they listen to. For sure. And it's, some, it's one of the first things I ask. It's like, what kind of music do you listen to? Often people gravitate towards the music that they relate to the most, obviously. And I also ask them, what I, I ask people what they're passionate about. Because I love hearing people talk about what they're passionate about. I got a tattoo against my mother's wishes. Well, all of them are against my mother's wishes. Sorry, mother. Not sorry. Um, anyway, but my tattoo artist, his name is Josh. Obviously, he was hurting because it's on the back of my forearm. Anyway, not the point. I asked him to tell me something he's passionate about while he's doing it to distract me. And so he told me this whole story of H.P. Lovecraft because he is passionate about Lovecraftian things and his life story and the things he wrote and his history about it. And that tattoo felt like it lasted an hour, but it also felt like it lasted two seconds because I was just so enamored in listening to him talk about something he loved so passionately if you are a tattoo artist you have to be a people person because you are giving something to someone that they have to hold on for a very long time and if you give off the impression that you don't care about it you're gonna get fired from your job if anybody out there is thinking about getting a tattoo definitely listen to Nicole's advice and ask them to talk about something they're passionate about Afterwards, after he had stabbed me multiple times with many needles, he actually thanked me for letting him talk about it because no one has really asked him about it. And I think in that moment, I was just like, oh, I need to ask everyone what they're passionate about. Why do people do what they do? I need, I want to know why people want to be a nurse or I want to know why you want to do music. I want to know why I want to tell stories. And there's always, always an alternative motive behind any action. There's this concept that selfless acts don't have any motive behind them. It's just to be selfless, and I don't believe that. I believe everyone does things to make themselves feel better or do something to help themselves, even if that means helping someone else. So there really is no truly selfless act. Which is something that my psychology teacher in high school said. Even if I did drop out of that class, I enjoyed it immensely. There are things that we do that inch us closer to the light at the end of the tunnel, which is the payoff. 
And when it comes to being selfless, I think that those are the smallest motions of all, but they're the smallest motions that lead us to the brightest light. You can do things like sit on the couch all day and eat chips and watch Netflix, and you are taking care of yourself, and by all means, do that. There are times where I feel you need to move that one inch in the larger tunnel of life. I think that a lot of people's true purpose in life doesn't come from small actions that only reward yourself. I think that they can come from dedicating yourself to things that aren't about you. And maybe that's just me talking about myself, but I I really do think that when you understand yourself, you understand how much you can help others. That's the one thing I think we all have in common is how much we can leave an impact on other people. I already said this before, and it's going back to why I want to tell stories, but it's my specific goal and what I want to achieve when I'm telling stories. It's I want them, I want the story to hurt. I want it to make people feel things, uncomfortable even. And I guess I want them to, I want the audience to feel like they care about these characters who are going to make terrible decisions, but also understand why they're making them. It's going to be tragic. And it will break your heart because the human experience is truly just us piecing together the puzzle of life and there's no edge pieces. So you can never really put it together. You haven't watched the Saw movies yet, have you? No, I have not. Is it the gore that's turning you away? Yes. From what you just explained, I think you would really like the Saw movies. Mm. And the reason that I say that is because the Jigsaw killer uh, who... The scary puppet on the tricycle? Yeah. The one who actually doesn't like being called the Jigsaw Killer. Um, Boo. One of his big things is that he feels that his victims are missing something in their life. You know, a lot of his victims are drug addicts and murderers and just generally people you don't want to be around. And he feels as though putting them through this will rejuvenate them. It will bring that meaning back into their life and he feels as though if they can't do that they're not worthy of life which you know as someone from 2021 would say that's a hot take (laughs) you wouldn't really say that back in 2004 when the first movie was released but I think that's a really good understanding of life is that you will sometimes lose your way And you're going to have to get a really hard reminder of what you need to do. You know, for lack of better words, you got to get your crap together. Yeah. It just so happens that this guy, I won't spoil it. I feel like like a lot of people have to watch it. But this guy really thinks that you should learn the hard way about how precious life is or you don't deserve to live it. Fair warning, he's not going to do that to people who get a B on a test instead of an A. He's going to do that to people who turn away from their loved ones so that they can gamble away their life savings or so that they can, you know, inject themselves with heroin every day. That brings me to the question, do bad people deserve good things? I grew up Catholic in a Catholic family, and there is a really big focus on penance and reconciliation. And... Since I grew up Catholic, I think I've sort of distanced myself a little bit from Catholicism, but I think that's one of the things that I took away from it. Obviously, everyone has their own understandings of it. Everyone has their own opinions on the Catholic Church, but I do think that there's a difference between your faith and organized faith, um, which is one of the reasons why I distanced myself from the title of Catholicism. But I think that bad people can always become good people. If they become good people, they can get good things. When I was younger and I was watching a lot of movies and there was a lot of, you know, fighting and good people and bad people, and I was generally scared or uncomfortable watching it because I was a kid and there was fighting, Right. I would sometimes think in my head, what if everyone just dropped their swords and just hugged it out for like a good like 10 minutes and just forgot about all the things they did to hurt each other. I think a lot of people would not have as much problems with each other if they sat down and had a conversation. Not a screaming match, 
where one will not listen to the other or even try to perceive the other's argument, but truly have a conversation of where each is coming from. Because you don't just have morals out of nowhere. They come from something. You're cutting the middleman, and you're going straight towards the conflict. Yeah. And addressing the conflict. And as someone who's really afraid of conflict, that's not really something I like to do. I just kind of, I'm like a turtle. I get into my shell, and I just try to wait out the conflict. Can I tell a uh, quick story real quick? Of course. Um, Speaking of conflict, and speaking of sitting down and having a conversation about it, when I was in high school, I obviously, I'm a musician, um, I played music. I also was in theater, and I also liked being a part of, you know, the cast for the theater productions. Um, and then there was one show where I was also in the front, the the pit orchestra, and I had a lot of fun doing that. And I was still having a lot of fun being a part of cast. And then in my junior year for the fall play, I was part of the crew, and. I helped build sets, and I was part of the fly operation, and I had a lot of fun doing that as well. So then the spring musical came around for my junior year, and I thought to myself, oh, crap. I don't know what I want to do. And I started telling people, and I was like, man, I don't know what I want to do. I'm having a lot of fun with all these, and I just want to you know, do all of them, but I can't. There's so many ways I can make myself useful in life, but I just can't do all of them. I ended up auditioning um, for cast. And I got a role. It was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and I got Augustus Gloop. Ooh. There are pictures online somewhere. There are videos online somewhere. I would not recommend finding them. They're very embarrassing. I need to see them immediately. I would not recommend that. I'll not do that. Wink, wink. Anyway, um, after auditions happened and after I signed up, or after I signed off on playing the role and a few days go by the band director pulls me into his office after band rehearsal one day and he sits me down and he says I've heard rumors about you that I want to address and I'm thinking in my head oh god something really bad has happened oh I truly would have just there would have been a Nicole shaped hole in the wall I would have been gone <laughs> I just no that's so scary um what he ended up telling me was that he heard rumors that I was going around telling people I was too good to be in the pit orchestra and that I didn't like the band director and that's why I was joining the cast. And he said he didn't know anybody who started it. He didn't know the amount of people who knew it and he didn't know what to do. The only thing he could do was talk to me. And I think I remember almost crying oh i would have straight up broke down uh, the biggest reason i almost cried was because i was scared i was so confused as to why anyone would think that i would just straight up tell people i didn't like the band director because i loved the band director he was an amazing guy right but i ended up telling him no this is one of the hardest decisions i've ever made in my entire life because i want to do everything and that was one of the first times I had ever experienced spreading myself too thin. And that is a bad habit I still have today of never being able to say no and never being able to distance myself from the things that I want to do because they're all right there. I can grab them at any point, but there's only so many hours in the day that I can actually do all of them. I think a mantra I have adopted during this semester in all of my woes and struggles I've been through in the past few months is do what you can when you can. And I think that's it's, it's what's really pulling me through this semester right now. Even if I can't bring myself to write what I need to write or I can't sit down for hours and do a visual effects project that was due already, I do what I can when I can and that's enough. One of my biggest issues as a student is that I learn by being in a classroom and by having someone explain concepts to me. And in college, that's just not how it works. Yeah. Um, I'm taking a class right now where you read the material on your own and then you take a quiz on it and then you learn it in a classroom. And 
that's really awful for me because I just can't remember things that way and I can't learn things that way. But the biggest reason it's an issue is because one of the things that gets me motivated and can lift up my mood is by going to class and sitting in a classroom. You wouldn't really be able to tell because I spend like 50% of class time on my phone. But it's the kind of being on your phone where it's like on the table and you're like tap, 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 look up, tap, 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 look up, tap, 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 look up. Yeah. Um, but it's really, really bad because it's like I get an attitude adjustment. I get pulled down really quick when it comes to my mood whenever I think about all the things that I have to do for my classes. And I'm like, well, now I feel bad. What do I want to do that makes me feel better? Oh, I'll just go to class. And the reason why that sucks is because I'm just, I'm learning things, but I'm learning things after they're being taught. And it takes so much time out of my day to go places and do things and be around people, which makes me feel great. But then, you know, it's like putting the rug over the dirt, however that analogy goes, in the sense that the problem's still there. I still have to do all this work, but it's just not helping anything. Right. A lot of people recharge by listening to music or going for a walk or something like that. Mine is being around people, but being around people takes up a lot of time. And whenever I need to do work, it just it's just not good because it's a lot of work that's been piling up because I've been spending so much time around people. And I'm like, I feel like crap. I want to hang out with people. And then I hang out with people and the work just piles up and it's an endless cycle. But as someone who likes people, it's so difficult to pull yourself away from it. Yeah, it's an endless cycle of feeling like crap unless I'm feeling like crap. The death spiral. Yeah, that's actually the name of a trap in the Saw movies. You just really like the Saw movies, don't you? I really like the Saw movies. I don't really watch movies, but and this is one of the things that like with Squid Game trending so much, the genre of a killing game uh in pop media, like this is the closest thing to Saw that the public has really liked in a while. What about Hunger Games? All right. Well, yeah. But like yeah, Hunger Games was really popular. And but that was 2012? Yeah, that was 2012. That was 10 years ago. Oh gosh. I didn't even think Oh, ew. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah, you were in middle school when they came out and now you're a senior in college. I shush. Shut <laughs> your mouth. Shut your mouth. Absolutely not. But Saw, the first Saw came out in 2004. And I think the ninth one, yeah, the ninth one just came out earlier this year. They just keep on making them, just like the Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. Well, I think Saw is a little bit more humble about it. What, they have a new Fast and Furious movie out, like, what, every year? I don't know. They're like Call of Duty games. It's like... It's like a cycle. But with the Saw movies, it's like, you know, they had like the first two, I think, lined up. And then they had a few more after that. And then they once they resolved one of the major subplots, then they waited a little bit until they could configure how they were going to make a new plot. And now I think they've got, they released eight in 2018, I think. And then they replaced replaced hold on and then they released the ninth one this year and i think there's supposed to be another one coming out i haven't seen number nine yet so i don't know what happens in it i don't know if there's anything that needs to be resolved or if they can kind of take a chill pill for a little bit but i would love to see it i just need a reason to go see it and i also need time and you never have time no i do a lot of things for a lot of people and i like doing a lot of things for a lot of people but I think you should do things for you. I also think I should do things for me. And I think you should do things for you. And I think that people should take care of themselves. But like... You heard it first, guys. Luke wants everyone to take care of themselves. No, it's one of those things where it's like, so people deserve to take care of themselves, right? Right. And you're a person, right? Correct. So take care of yourself. No. That's my problem. Yeah. Could it be that you like other people more than you like yourself? I am the worst person I know. So yes. 
not only are you the worst person you know, you are the worst version of yourself right now. Which means that a newer, cooler, better version of yourself is on the way. But only if you take care of yourself and you keep improving. And every time you do something, every time you make a mistake, every time you make someone laugh, every time you make someone smile, every good grade, every bad grade, every experience you have, you are improving. If there is motion, there is growth. How deep? It's a little deep. Well, a little deep. Yeah. Especially for this Wednesday afternoon in which we are sitting and recording a podcast. We're getting pretty deep for this one. But the last one you did was on philosophy, wasn't it? Yeah. Say something funny to lighten the mood. Um, I got a knock-knock joke. Okay, go for it. Two guys walk into a bar. That's not a knock-knock joke. Yeah, it is. Two guys walk into a bar. Knock. Knock-knock. Oh. Like they walk into the bar. I'm going to kill you with my bare hands. <laughs> you but have bare hands? Uh, actually, I do. Did you not know? Do you not see these talons or claws? My dad's actually uh, half bear. I didn't know if you knew that. Don't you have bigger hands than I do? Maybe. I am five foot eleven. I'm twenty one years old. I'm an adult. I go to school. I learn things. I am a good person. I have hands smaller than most people. I am five four. A small little Asian woman with as much rage as possible, and I have proportional sized hands to my body. Yeah, that's one thing I'll never have. <laughs> Well, they say that people who are shorter are closer to hell, and that's why they're so... Angry? Ang yeah, that's why they're so angry all the time. Correct. My sister is 5'1", and she is... I'm not going to finish that sentence. <laughs> I love you dearly, sister of mine. Do you share this podcast with your sister? Anyways. <laughs> You're going to cut that part out. <laughs> but you know what else you can do with a bar? What's that? You can set it on fire. Oh, that's how you know the podcast is ending. That's how you know the podcast is ending, because we set it on fire. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Car is on Fire. I'm Nicole. I was Luke. And I guess you'll see, you'll hear only one of us next time. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>